So, okay, if you're also new to the church, you know, um, when I, anytime I'm going to preach, I like to start with Proverbs. There are 31 days in any given month at the most, so there's 31 chapters. So today I picked today's date, uh, of course, it's the 13th, and I picked verse 10. Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Good one. They're all good ones. So let's pray. Lord, we invite you now. Your word says that the word of God will not return void. It's not that there's something magic about your word, but there is something powerful. It's truth, it's life, it's dependable, it's faithful. We pray, Lord, now for the next few minutes while we crack open your word and study that, Lord, the things that your spirit wants to speak to us will get through, that the distractions of life, the weights of life, Lord, the the imperfections of this vessel, this guy, would somehow fall away, and instead that the Holy Spirit, that Lord, you would have your way in the hearts of people. In Jesus' name, we invite it. Amen. Well, today I want to um, um, launch into something, uh, and the the title of today's message is "God Will Be First. And um, I, I just want to launch right straight into the Word of God. So here we go. Okay, I'm gonna, and I know I know this is going to kind of come across, especially at first, as a little bit Old Testamenty. There's no such word, right? But just bear with me. We'll tie this through to the New Testament. And, and so those of you who are you know, wondering about that, it'll be okay. Exodus 13 in, in verses 1 and 2. And I'll help you if you don't have a Bible. It's up on the wall. Anyway, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. Now, and then you can drop down to verses 12 and 13. Then you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. He's talking here about offspring. That is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. Notice they shall be, they they belong to God. Um, But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. Wow, this is, kind of, this is kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, okay, let's keep going. You know, in, in, in other words, what he's saying here is, if you don't do this, if you don't sacrifice it, you're going to lose it anyway. And that's a principle that we're going to see here. Um, if you're not going to give this to the Lord, you're going to lose it anyway, is what that's saying. And all the firstborn of man among, you, among your sons you shall redeem. So, okay. We're going to talk today about a principle about God being first in the Word of God. And we're going to relate that to some things. Um, we're going to relate that to salvation, and we're going to relate that to our finances, and we're going to relate to it an, as an understanding about the first. The first. God keeps using that phrase, the first. First point is uh, of today's message is the firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. The firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. Now, I'm going to get to the difference of those two in a minute, but first, I, I want to ask, I mean, a rhetorical question. Why is it that we can still draw upon the teachings of the Old Testament when we live under grace? We live under grace. We're in the New Testament. Jesus has come in, and, and, and forgiveness is now the order of the day. Why is it that we would still draw upon the Old Testament? And there's lots of reasons. First Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10, the chapter talks, talks, talks and teaches us that everything in the Old Testament is, is there as an example to us. In fact, it's written for instructions. And so what is there in this, in this little section we just read that's an example for us to see? And that is that the firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. 
So here's what was going on back in the days of Exodus. If you had an animal that was considered a clean animal, that doesn't mean it was soap and water on it. There was certain types of animals that, that God said, these are clean, eat these. These are unclean, don't eat them. And there are, that's a whole study. We're not going to go there today. But if it was a clean animal, you sacrificed the firstborn. And if it was an unclean animal, then you had to redeem it. And you redeemed it by the sacrifice of a clean animal. That makes sense? If it was an unclean animal, you, re- it was, it, you, you redeemed it by the sacrifice of a clean animal. Now, maybe you've read some of this from time to time and you've wondered, you know, is this just kind of a weird part of God that we just have to, you know, deal with because God is God and, you know, it's kind of weird sacrificing animals. This is kind of kind of weird. You'd have to admit that. If your next door neighbors started sacrificing bulls in their backyard, there wouldn't be a barbecue explanation that would kind of wash with you. You'd go, no matter what, it, you'd, you'd consider it weird, right? So it's weird when we read about it. I mean, that's, that's what I think. I mean, is this just kind of a weird part? Did he just want animals to be killed sometimes? Is this just, you know, is this, does God have a dark side that just, you know, this is the creepy, I mean, you know, it's okay to ask those kinds of questions, it is. It is. I mean, because they're in us, and I think God says, hey, ask me the toughest questions you got. I got a loving answer, and you, when you understand, you'll understand. No, there's a principle buried in here that's really important for us to understand. And here's, here's a principle that I will tell you about this book. Everything in here points towards Jesus. Everything. Everything in here somehow points towards Jesus. So let's relate this passage to Jesus. If it's unclean, it has to be redeemed by the sacrifice of of the clean. If something is unclean, it has to be redeemed by the sacrifice of something clean. And if it's clean, the firstborn has to be sacrificed because it belongs to God. So let me ask you a rhetorical question. When you were born, were you clean or unclean? You get where I'm going with this. I mean, there is theological chatter about this topic out there. Um, but I'll tell you where, I'm, where I come down on this. You, you might be someplace different, but I believe that when we are born, we are, we are born unclean. We might look at a little baby and say, oh, they're so innocent. Um, and there's a lot about that. But, but Scripture tells us in lots of different places, David says that we were all born in sin. There's some references in Romans 5. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I, everyone, every one of my children, when they were fresh born out of the womb, I would have included them in the category of all. I'm, I'm just Okay, so let's just, for the sake of argument, assume or believe that... Well, here's, here's another question I would ask you if, if, if you wonder about children, whether they're born clean or unclean. Do you have to teach them how to be bad? <laughs> you do not have to instruct them. They have that. They figure that out somehow. You have to teach them how to be good. Wouldn't you agree? Okay, it's, it, it's incidental. It's not scriptural, but it is an observation. Because I think we're born with a sin nature, and we're, we struggle with it our entire life. Okay, now Jesus, on the other hand, a different case. Was Jesus born clean or unclean? I believe he was born clean. Perfect. He never sinned. And so here's this principle. The clean has to be sacrificed to redeem the unclean. That's what we just read about in Exodus 13. That's what it said. If you have an unclean animal, it has to be redeemed by the sacrifice of the clean. 
Okay, so far? Okay. So I want to talk today about um, the first, that first that the Lord talks about. And I'm going to talk about it in, a, in relationship to our finances. And for those of you who are going, oh, great. Come to church, haven't been here for a long time, and the guy's talking about money. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that's happened to you today. I mean, I've, I've been the pastor here for a little over three years. I've done 150 or so sermons, and I think one time I've done a message on giving. Um, Jesus talked about giving. The, thing, the subject that he talked about most was salvation. The second thing he talked about most was money. And so if we can't learn some things about how to handle our money from here, we're going to learn it from somewhere. Might as well be from here. So... Um, without apology, but with sensitivity. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this because I really believe it's the Word of God, and the Word of God tells us that we gotta, we gotta, the entire counsel of the Word of God needs to be studied. So today we'll be on something, and I hope that you don't feel like I'm doing this because I need your money, because that's not the case. This church is healthy. We'll talk about that a little bit later. I get ahead of myself. So, so think about this. Jesus was sacrificed, the clean, so that we... <laughs> could be redeemed. You get that principle. That's the principle that's at work here. We're talking about giving our first to God. So I want to reverse the angles here and look maybe at this topic through God's eyes. Jesus was the first. Jesus was the first. He was the highest. He's, the, he's God's best. And God gave Jesus in the hope that by redeeming us that we would find relationship with God and find salvation eternal for, forever, heaven and all of that. God didn't wait to see if we would straighten up first and then give his son. Scripture says that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. While we were still, he didn't wait to see if Terry would get his act together and then say, okay, I'll give my son for Terry. He did it while I was still a sinner. So God gave Jesus before anybody believed in him. He gives Jesus as that sacrifice first because the firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. God's firstborn, the clean, must be sacrificed so we, the unclean, can be redeemed. So if you have a sheep and your sheep has a baby, a lamb, you have to give the first one to God. That's what the, the teaching says. Anybody got sheep? I don't know how many of you raised sheep, but you give the first one to God so that the rest of them can be blessed. Do you get that picture? So that the rest can be... And that's, this is a principle that is all throughout the Word. You will find this example all throughout the Word. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll give, we talk, talk about a couple other topics. Like, for example, we go to church, it's Sunday. Why do we go to church on Sunday? Because the Sabbath you studied here was actually Saturday. A lot of people wonder, well, how did that change happen? Well, it was a decision made in the early church tradition, and there were a couple of primary reasons that they did it. One was it was the day that Jesus rose, and so in honor of the resurrection, they started, on, they started attending on the first day, the anniversary of the day that Jesus rose. A second reason is it's the first, the first day of the week. They gave to God the first so that the rest of their week would be blessed. It's like you give the Lord the first part of your day by devotion, and the rest of the day will be blessed. You give the first of something to God so that the rest can be... You give the first portion of your finances to God so that the rest can be blessed. And we'll talk about that. So you begin your week with God and you begin your day with God. And that's the principle. The firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. Second point. The first fruits must 
be offered. And so I use the word must there. I know that's a strong word. Um, and uh, it's important because we want to walk under the blessings of God. And so the first fruits must be offered. And we'll, we'll come back to Exodus 13 in a minute, but let's, I want to flip over to Exodus 23, verse 19. Here's the word. The first of the first fruits, the first of the first fruits of your land, you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Notice that this says the first. The first of your first fruits. Proverbs, 30, Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions, and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. So now let's connect the dots here between firstborn and relate it to first fruits. God says, When your animal has a baby, that you sacrifice the first one. And that's what takes faith. He doesn't say, you make sure that the, the lamb that has the baby can produce them. And so you don't, you, he doesn't say, wait until it's had nine, ten babies, and then give me one. He says, give me the first one. And that takes faith, because you don't know if the ewe is going to produce any more lambs. It takes faith on the first one. God says, give me the first one, and then the rest, then the rest will be blessed. And there's something about, this is a topic about tithing that a lot of people don't understand. They think, okay, yes, it's 10%. God has said a tenth. So if I give a tenth, um, you know, God's thinking, you know, a tenth. Yes, every person can give. That's, that's the Lord's way of making it so that everyone can give. Every single person should be able to give because it's a percentage. It levels the playing ground. So yeah, it's 10%. But what this principle is teaching us here is it's the first 10%. Because it takes faith to give the first 10% and then pay the bills. That takes faith. It, as opposed to you know, paying the bills and then you find that you don't have anything left over to give to God. So we need to understand something about God. By his very nature, God will be first. He will. Whether you put him there or not, whether I put him there or not, God is going to be first. It's who he is. It's what his nature is. It's not selfish. It's just his quality. There's, it's, it's not negotiable. He's above all. He's higher than all. He's the first of all. He's, he's always first. That's a principle that we find in scripture. So, for example, when the, uh, when the kids uh, were making their journey into the promised land, God says to them, he says, okay, now before you enter in there, the first city you're going to hit is Jericho. When you get there, I'll give it into your hands. But I want you to set aside all of the gold, all of the silver, because it belongs to me. You give me the first here. And um, it's very simple. When you understand why he, when you understand this principle of the first, why he would make that requirement of them. You know, Jericho was the first city. And he was saying, give me the first, and then the rest are going to be blessed. That's basically what he says to the kids before they go into the promised land. He didn't say, conquer 10 cities and then give me one. He said, the first. So off they go. And by the way, they disobey him. They didn't all realize this, but a guy named Achan um, saw some silver and some gold and he couldn't pass it up. And so he tucked it under his robe and hid it under his tent. So they thought they were obeying, but they hadn't obeyed as a nation. And so they go on to the next city. Well, it's Ai. Ai doesn't look like it's that tough a town. The guys don't look that tough. There's not that many of them. So they don't even send the whole army. They send, I'm paraphrasing here, they send a whole bunch of the army. And frankly, they get chased and they get their tails kicked. And I think 36 men die. Something like that. Now the leaders feel like, oh, 
how did this happen? I thought, God, you were with us, and this was your commandment. Why isn't this working out? And God said, uh, you haven't kept what I told you to do about the first. I didn't bless it because it's cursed. You didn't give me the first. The rest are cursed. You want to get that blessing, you've got to give me the first. So there's a whole story there. You can read it in the scripture you know, where they had all these clans passed before and families and then got it down. And, and they finally, God says, that's the one. And it was Achan. And yeah, I did it. It's under my tent. And they went and they found it. And they made it right. And then as the, as the children of Israel advanced, they had victory in, 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 the, so in the following cities. So the firstborn you give to God. The first fruits you give to God. So as we read this story, there's another question too. I think we talked last time about Cain and Abel a little bit. Um, they both gave an offering to the Lord and the scripture says that the God respected one and didn't. I, that made me scratch my head. I thought, you know, there's reason why he respected one offering but not the other. I can't remember what, I, don't remember, I, want, I want to know why that is. So I, I started digging in. And I don't think that you would understand the reason for that unless you understand the principle of the first, firstborn, God the first. So let's read that story and see what it says. Genesis 4, verses 3 and 7. 3 through 7. And in the process of time, that's an important phrase. Pay attention to that. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Notice it doesn't say he brought the first fruit. It just is in the process of time. When he decided he wanted to, when he got around to it, he brings an offering to God. Verse 4, Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance falling? If you do well, in other words, if you do the right thing, you, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do the right thing, if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Cain must have been thinking, I'm going to give an offering to God, but it's going to be a little different than he's told me. It's going to be a little different than he said he requires, but I think it'll be okay. I mean, I'm at least giving him an offering. A lot of people don't give any offering to God at all. God will be okay with this. Yet God's thinking, Cain, you don't get it. I'm going to be first. This does not work for me. God is saying, there will be no other gods before me. I will be first, and uh, this doesn't work. And I, there it is. I think that's why. I think, I think, you know, Abel is a rancher. He gives his firstborn. Cain is a farmer. He doesn't give his first fruits. He gives what he thinks is enough when he thinks it's appropriate on his own terms. And God says, I can't accept that. I won't accept it. And I think that same mistake happens with a lot of people that maybe you know, where they think they will make it into the gates of heaven and they've got some other reason, any other reason besides Jesus Christ. They think, I'll get into heaven because of, and they fill in the blank, and they've got all kinds of ways they plan to do it that are not God's plan. Because God gave the firstborn and it's just not going to get it. You know, I mean... Did you know that there are some attributes of God where, that he cannot change? Do you know that? Things God can't change. And you say, wait a second, Terry. God, without God, all things are possible. God can do anything. There are actually some things he can't do. Okay? I'll get, <laughs> you're looking at me like, okay, Terry. This ought to be good, but I don't believe you. you know, I can kind of see it on your faces. Here's one. 
God can't change. Think about this for a minute. If he could change, he could get better. But God is already perfect. Or he could get worse, which would make him imperfect. He can't change. God can't change. Here's another one. God can't think like we think. Now, this one's kind of harder to catch, but I mean, I've thought about this a little bit. We think about things to try to figure them out. That's how we think, right? God already knows everything all at once. God never has a moment like this where he says, hey, Eric, you know, the other day when we were talking, something occurred to me. What? Nothing ever occurs to God. <laughs> For somebody who knows everything all the time, nothing can ever occur to him. God even tells us he doesn't think like this. In Isaiah 55, he says, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. My ways are not like your ways. They're higher, they're different. This is all you can really understand for now. But it's true. He can't think like we think. Because we have so many gaps to fill in that are not gaps for him. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8. Scripture teaches us that God cannot accept an offering that's not first because of his preeminence. He cannot, and he just won't do it. That's why he didn't accept Cain's, but he did accept Abel's. So understand, you know, we understand this as children. We can give to God anytime he speaks to us. But if we don't give the first to God, we're not following through on a principle here that's all through scripture about the first. And that's more than just the tithe. It's the firstborn, it's the first fruits. Okay, so point number three, the tithe really must be first. The tithe must be first. Leviticus 27.30 says, And all of the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Notice here that this is referencing seed and grain as an offering, which Cain offered before. There's other places where it's an acceptable offering. The firstborn, the first fruits, and the tithe is first because he uses here the exact same language as with the firstborn. The firstborn is the Lord's. He says the tithe is, tithe is the Lord's. It's the exact same language. Now, here's something that kind of, you know, that I bump up against and it kind of, you know, chafes me a little bit. When I, when I talk to people and they say, well, tithing, I don't, I, tithing is part of the law. I'm not under the law. I'm, under, I'm a Christian, so I live under grace, so I don't tithe. And there's, here's a couple of problems with that. I'm going to just share with you the scriptural problems with that. First off, tithing existed way before the law. Did you realize that? Um, Jacob tithed about 400 years before the law. Abraham tithed. He was between four and 500 years before the law. God was teaching stewardship way back then. I mean, even in the garden, God was teaching stewardship to Adam and Eve when he said, hey, this, you can have all this stuff, it's blessed. This one, it's mine. It's mine. Don't take it. And when they took what belonged to God, they put upon themselves a curse. All your days you shall toil. The fruit of that tree belonged to God. And when they took what belonged, that fruit that belonged to God, it cursed everything else. They stepped out of blessing because God has always been saying, you know, the way you steward something is that you understand that some of it is mine. 
The second thing, too, is that the tithe is not only before the law, but it was after the law. Jesus taught that in, in Matthew 23, 23. He's having this go-around with some of the Pharisees who had been counting out their mustard seeds to make sure that they gave a tenth of their mustard seeds to God or their cumin and anise seeds. And Jesus said, hey, congratulations. It's really good that you're doing that. This is in Matthew 23, 23. He says, it's really good that you're doing that, but the problem is you're neglecting other things like love and loyalty and faith. And, and you should... Do those things too, as well as tithe. That's enough for me. That's New Testament. If you need to have have this in the New Testament, Jesus said, you should do that. If the one who saved me says I ought to, that kind of settles it for me. And you know, this is is a huge rabbit trail for me. I'm just going to put my toes off for a second. I promise not to go too deep. But the whole idea of, of people saying, well, it's un- it was under the law, I'm under grace now, so that's gone, that's, that's silly. I mean, there are principles all throughout this word, and they don't change just because of grace. What's new in the New Testament is forgiveness. You don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. But the principle remains. Here's an example. The law says that you're to honor your mother and your father. Oh, I'm under grace now, so I don't need to honor my mother and my father? Does that make sense? No, there's a principle about honoring your mother and your father. It blesses you when you do, as well as blessing them. How about another one? The law says that you you don't commit murder. But I'm a Christian, and I'm under grace, and you cut me off on the freeway, so I'm going to have to kill you. (laughs) Tell me you have not thought that. No, that's, that's crazy, you know. The idea that you can take the grace and forgiveness of the New Testament and then twist it to somehow change the principles that God has given us throughout his whole word, that's just a, you know, that's, that's not what Jesus taught. As a matter of fact, if you really want to pursue that, did you know that Jesus taught that the righteousness of grace exceeds the righteousness of the law? Right. It exceeds it. Here's what I mean by that. Um, you know, he said, you have, heard that you, you have heard it said that you shall not commit murder, but I say to you, don't hate. Don't be angry with, because you have done the same thing, basically. That's further than the law. You know, the law says, I can't kill you. Grace says, I can't even hate you. I can't even be angry at you. The law says, you shall not commit adultery, Grace says, you don't even look at a woman with lust in your heart. It's the same as adultery. I mean, it goes beyond the law. It doesn't cut the, cut the law off. So when somebody says to me, well, I don't give 10% because I'm not under, I'm not under the law anymore. I'm under grace. I'm thinking, oh, praise God. That means it's going to be more, more than 10%. Because <laughs> grace always goes further than the law. So, so the tithe needs to be first. I'm going to give you an example, a practical example, how this, how this works out. You come to my house because I hire you to paint my house, and so you paint my house, and, and I pay you for it, and uh, by the time you get this money in your hands, you've paid for your employees, and you've paid for all the paint, and the, the, that blue tape, and all that kind of stuff. And when it's all said and done, there's um, $1,000 of profit. That's your income. And so you've paid everything off. I've paid you. Everything's paid off, and now you have sitting there the 10 Benjamins that I put into your hand, you know, right? Okay. So you have 10 $100 bills. First question is a math question. I hope you can rise to this. How much is the tithe here? That's $100. Way to go. Okay. So you're with me so far. So it's a tenth. But which of those $100 bills is the tithe? 
See, you got the answer right because you're listening. And where do you, but I'm going to tell you, I'll make it easy for you to know which one is the tithe. The tithe is the first one that leaves your hand. It's the one, the first one that you spend. In other words, if you go home and you, and you pay the mortgage and you pay the car and you pay the groceries and, oh, you don't have enough left over for God, or even if you do and you hand that to him last, that's not the first fruit tithe that the Lord says, I want to bless. Because he wants to bless your finances. God wants to bless your finances. It's a Jericho thing. He wants you to give to him your first fruits, and then the remainder will be blessed. Because it's not only the amount that releases the blessing, it's actually the order. So you say to God, God, here's the first 10% for you, because you realize that every time you get paid, you get to take a test. You do. I mean, the test is who are you going to honor for your income? Who is it that you're trusting? That you, because you honor the first person you give to. Exodus says when you give the first one to God, you're, the rest is blessed. You don't give the first portion to the mortgage company because the mortgage company does not have the ability to bless your finances. You don't give the first portion to the electric company because the electric company does not have the ability to bless your finances. The question that boils this down to simplicity for Terry is, would I rather live on 100% that's cursed or 90% that's blessed? Because when we keep the tithe, the Bible teaches that all that we have then becomes cursed. And that's what happened when Achan kept that, that silver and gold from Jericho. You can read about it in Joshua 6 and 7. You know, it's, it, it's consecrated, it's blessed if I give the first 10%, and it's cursed if I keep it. So if I give, I'm blessed, and if I don't give, I'm cursed. So what I'd say to you, the practicals, you know, to say to you, tithe for a year to see what happens. I mean, I know a lot of you do it here, but you can test God. This is the only place in Scripture that God says, you can try me out and test me to see if this isn't true. And he says, test, test me. Bring the tithe into the storehouse. By the way, the storehouse is not a university or a hospital or a Christian school or one of the guys on, on television. The local storehouse, the storehouse is the place where you attend church where you are fed, where you are cared for when you need to be cared for. It's the local church. And by the way, God never uses the word give concerning the tithe. He says bring, because you can't give something that isn't yours. You bring the tithe into the storehouse. And, you know, I'd just like to, um, you know, say to you, if this, is, you know, if this is prodding you out of your comfort zone and you're thinking, oh, come on, I don't know how I'll do that, i just say this to you. Tithe for a year. And if it hasn't happened for you, we'll give you your money back. The council will give you back your money. <laughs> I see council members over here going, uh, you didn't talk to us about but I know they would be good with this. I mean, I've told people that before in churches and have never had anybody say, hey, God didn't bless my family. He didn't, I mean, there is, if you do this faithfully for a year and you really believe God has not shown up, we'll give you your money back. And I'm not telling you this because I want your money. I'm telling you this because I want your money to be blessed. Bring the tithe into the storehouse. 
I, I really believe that the tithe belongs to God, and it, it, we need to come to a place that we give the first to God. And as a church, that's what we do. Just so that you know, this isn't hypocritical. I do this personally. I've been doing this. I can't remember not doing it in my life, but the church does it as well. Our finances here are healthy. We pay our bills every month. I told you that earlier. I mean, this is not being preached out of need. They're paid on time. We live within our means. We have a church council that that sets a budget. We say, okay, here's how much money we have. Here's how much money that we believe we will get. Here's the appropriate way for it to be spent. They set my salary. Um, I don't set those kinds of things. And so I'm under a covering, and they as a group, accountable along with me before the Lord for the, for the use of the tithes. And uh, so we have proper coverings in place, guards and set in place here. And, um, and, and also our church tithes, we give away. Here's what we give away. Over the last three years, I've been the pastor here for just over three years. And these are the numbers for the time that I've been here. Let's go ahead and stick those numbers up. So in the last 12 months, we have given away, of the money that's been given here, $48,500. That's 17% of our income we've given away. When I say given away, we give it away, um, we tithe to our denomination, which uses it to plant churches and to care for ministry in lots of places. It includes missions. It includes when we give food away to people. It includes when we see someone in need and we give them whatever kind of help. But it adds, add, added up in the last year to 48000 The year before that was thirty nine. The year before that, thirty seven. In the last three years, that adds up to $125,000. That's a lot of money. And why are we blessed and healthy as a church? I believe this has a whole lot to do with it. Because when you give the first to the Lord, the rest is blessed. The rest is blessed. And so we give it away in ministry to God. And it's real important to me, you know, this is probably my own fears to stand up here and talk to you about giving, that you might misunderstand my motive here. I'm sharing this out of a love for the word of God and a love for you. Because I live this and I know what happens when the Lord blesses your finances. I know the difference between walking and trying to figure out how I'm going to make things work versus knowing my faithful God. He's he's on the hook for it. That's what a crass way to say it. But God is responsible for engineering my future. I'm responsible for faithful obedience and trust in him. I don't have to engineer my tomorrows. Now, I do things that are prudent. I save money. I plan for retirement, whatever that is. You know, I mean, I do the things that I can do that I should do, but I'm not depending on any of that. I just don't depend on any of that. And, and another reason that I want to mention this to you is we're right in the middle of, of asking you to give offerings for building for expanding this building you know we we have a vision to make room for more people and it's good you know we've we've grown instantaneously almost from adding space um and we have a vision to care for more people and so you know at the same time that we're doing that we're saying to you there's an offering we want to receive offerings and my concern is this i don't want you to do something about giving us an offering and dishonor god along the way i would way rather that you tithe $30 a month because that's 10% and you live on three. I would rather you tithe that than to go somewhere and dig out of the hole in the ground and come in here and give me a $5,000 gift on the building. I would rather have you tithe because I want to see the Lord bless you. Besides that, I, I, I walk in a, some, in a hope in enough faith um, that if the Lord gave us the vision to do this project and to care for people, there's a reason that he's, that he's given us that vision. Um, there are people that need to be touched, and they will be if we're faithful. And secondly, God will provide the resources through the people who will obey him. 
So that's why we don't beat the drum, and I don't talk much about money, um, except when there's good scriptural lessons to be learned. Um, um, you, I, it doesn't become the subject of sermons very often. So, okay, so let's get back. We're about done here to, to Exodus 13. And here's, one of the, I think, one of the coolest things in this whole process. In fact, I, I think it is the coolest part. Exodus 13, verses 14 and 15. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come. God is telling us, our, our kids are going to ask us questions about this. In time to come, saying, what is this? That you shall say to him, by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, for all the firstborns of my son I redeem. God is saying, the day's going to come when your sons, when your children will say to you, what are you doing? So here's the picture back in the days of Exodus. Little boy comes in, dad, dad, the sheep are going to, they're going to, they're going to have baby sheep. It's going on. They're about ready to deliver. They deliver. Dad says to his son, take that first one, sacrifice them, burn them up. Little boy goes, okay. I bet you that little boy obeyed, you know, not going to cross dad again, you know, kind of a deal. But I mean, he, he, he did what dad said. Little boy grows up. Pretty soon he enters, joins in the family business, family sheep ranching business. And he watches this go on. And one day he says, hey, Dad, I need to talk to you. I've noticed you have this habit. And, you know, the first, you keep doing this, and that's a lot of sheep. That, that adds up to a lot of money. We could actually be using that money. We could use that for ourselves. We could, there's lots of things we could do with that. You know, you're costing us a lot of money. And his dad will say, hey, Sit down. I want to talk to you. I'm going to tell you some things I've never told you before. Because we weren't always sheep farmers. In fact, we were slaves. And we didn't own any sheep at all. And with a mighty hand, our God delivered us out of that bondage. And with a mighty hand, the Lord provided for us. So yeah, I graciously and happily and hilariously give a sacrifice. Because the firstborn belongs to the king. That's the Exodus translation. Here's the Terry translation. As a father, I want my kids to live under this principle. I want them to tithe when they're little kids because I want this to be embedded in their soul so that they don't struggle with this later because I want them to walk through life blessed by the Lord. And so we raised our kids and we taught them, yes, you always tithe, yes, you always tithe. And they grew up seeing their mother and father regularly give significant amounts of money, and they saw a sacrifice. We gave offerings that were significant. We gave vehicles away before. We gave away a travel trailer one time that was a year old and was, you know, it's because the Lord told us to. I mean, we are, this is what we live. And I don't tell you those things for any other reason than that I want you to know that it's possible to do these things, and the Lord will bless you when you put your faith in him. And so... Fast forward now to our firstborn son, Ben, is graduating from the University of Washington, and he graduates with his degree in engineering. He's an engineer. He graduates just at the moment that our economy is tanking. And everybody who has discretionary money is saying, you know what, I think I'm going to put my project off till later. And all of a sudden, the industry, as you know, among many industries, goes flat. And so... He thought he would graduate from college and just step right into a great big old fat paying job, live where he wants to live and drive, you know, 
a BMW. BMWs are cool. If you got one, I'm happy for you. I'd like to have one too. Did you hear that, Lord? No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just kidding. And so he graduates, and we're thinking, okay, what's this about? But you know what? That's not the attitude we took or he took, because he had been tithing regularly, consistently as he grew up. This wasn't his responsibility. He needed to be prudent and do the appropriate things. And so he graduates, and he wants to get out there and start making contacts and getting a job. But mom says, oh, this might be our last family vacation together because he's going to grow up and turn into an adult and we won't see him again. So mom says, wouldn't you just take one more vacation with us? I don't know if you remember this or not. He didn't want to, but out of respect to his mother, he said, okay, so off we went. Yellowstone, by the way, a lot of fun. He couldn't look for a job. We were on our way back and he started collecting voicemail messages off his phone on the way back. And people in the engineering department at the University of Washington had talked to somebody who had talked to somebody and there was a job offer waiting for him to be the city engineer of Mukilteo. He didn't want to do that. He wanted to actually engineer buildings, design buildings and there was also a phone call from a company saying, hey, we'd like to talk to you about an opening we have for structural engineering. We will train you and build you in that. He took that interview and he took that job. And that's because I believe the Lord blessed him because of what he had been doing before that. He's at that company. Um, It's probably got 25 or 30 engineers in it. It's in Kirkland. Headquarters is somewhere else in the country. And the economy is still in in its free fall. They decide at headquarters they're going to shut this place down. Well, at this place, there's one of the owners, one of the partners. There are a whole bunch of other engineers who have doctorates and master's degrees and stamps and all this experience. And Ben's, Ben's learning. The company decision back there was they start laying all these people off, including the guy who was a part owner. They laid them all off. And eventually, there's nobody left in this business. One person. Ben. My son is still going, I don't know why I'm here. I said, yeah, I know why you're there. The Lord is going to take care of this. And while he's there doing faithfully serving this company who has shut it down around his ears, and he's the last guy, he gets a contact from another large engineering firm. Hey, you want to come and talk to us? Because we got a structural engineering role and we see maybe you could fit there. The Lord moved him there before the dust finally settled in this other place. Again, always tithing, always trusting the Lord. The same company, and he works there now, they've gone through their downsizing. Again, same thing. They've laid off guys who are engineers who have doctorates, who have been professors in colleges. Ben's still there. You could say it's favorism, favoritism. You could say all kinds of things. I say it's because the Lord says this, test me in this. See if I will not pour out a blessing. So much that it can't be contained. That's the cool part of this whole thing. When you put your faith in God and, and with your finances, he makes promises to you and he keeps those promises. Now, one last thing and I'm done. I'm not legalistic about tithing. Here's what I mean by that. I really believe this about the first fruits. It's first thing we do. But if I come home after depositing my paycheck and I pick up the checkbook and I see that Lisa has bought groceries, I don't go, oh no. Because of Costco, we're cursed. <laughs> we're broke, too. No, I don't, I don't get there. I, I mean, you need to understand that this is not a legalistic thing. It's in our heart. The, 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 the thing we do is with first. So I'm telling you when you catch this, about honoring God in the first portion. It'll change your life and it'll change the life of your children as well. Let's pray.